Welcome along to episode 14, the third season of LOI Weekly with myself, Johnny Ward and Daniel McDonald. We have a slightly different show today where we're going to look into potential football development in Ireland um, with a special guest from the States very early in the morning on Thursday morning here. Reminds me of a Father Ted episode very early the next morning. Um, wasn't it the, uh, what was his name, the, the, the guy who scored all the women, uh, the, the milkman? Pat Mustard. Pat Mustard. Yeah. Um, the actor passed away recently, I think. He did, he? he did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what, a, what a great episode that he was. Had, he had good innings, although I'm assuming that, I'm not sure if he had the same lifestyle as Pat Mustard. I would say he probably didn't. No, you know, actually, you can't assume that at all. You know, but he's passed away, so you, we're not libeling him by saying he may have had a very active sex life <laughs> in his own life. Um, we're on Podcast Republic, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, and at LOI Weekly on Twitter, in association with Air Sports and Independent.ie. Dan, how are things? Not too bad, John. Not um, too bad. We have Kieran Foley on, obviously, shortly um, to speak about um, his ideas for what might happen in Ireland. But just how bad are things at the moment? Because it's it's hard to catch up with um, the FAI yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, uh, you know, the, I suppose people are on a are, Thursday are, are morning beaten down by it to a degree. But yeah, I mean, I was out in Abbottstown yesterday for for the first sort of council meeting. People are beaten uh, down, but but it seems to be getting really, really serious. Yeah, the first council meeting since the the crisis really kicked off. So. There was a variety of people there, naturally delegates from around the country, League of Ireland representatives as well. I mean, Pat Sullivan was there, has been questioned about the stuff at Limerick. And, um, there was a hilarious more, more moment where he was, uh, today, he was a very rare like League of Ireland guy being interviewed, getting into a car, and he was kind of like yeah, trying to avoid the, the questions. And then he tried to open the car door, but it was locked. And there was this kind of awkward pause, and then I think he opened it from putting his hand in yeah, the Yeah, I, I was watching that from a, from a distance, all right. It was slightly unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> unfortunate uh, Anthony Delaney yeah. from St. Pat's did stop and speak. And I think it's important that you know the, the league clubs probably find their voice a small bit in terms of, of things that are going on generally. I mean, we're going to talk about um, football structure stuff with Kieran Foley, so I don't think we should labour the point here for people, because I think people also need a break from it too, but it is also something very serious that is, mm. is going on. As I said, it's not going away. It's not just going to be gone next week. It's something that's it's going to be in the background till well for months you know till July end of July at the very least but really probably you know much will go on for longer beyond that mm. um, Rovers obviously didn't play last weekend and Dundalk are now top of, of the table the summit, no yeah. games in hand no this is we now are where we are. Everyone's played 16 games. We are where we are. Yeah, Why a, do people say that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's a statement of fact. Um, it is, yeah. It's generally sometimes you need you know. sometimes you need to get from one sentence to the next, and you we don't are know what to where say. We are. It is what it is. Going forward, yeah. You know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's a slightly so. more. That's a slightly more creative point than just the bland thing that means nothing. Creative um, would would actually um, kind of. There's a good segue coming here, John. If you just get to the end of the sentence, creative could describe Dundalk at the moment. They're flying. They were very good against Bowes on Friday. I thought pitch a bit better. I thought uh, pitch, yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it probably wasn't something that was a talk of comment. I know, I know, you know, a talk of the place afterwards. I know some Bowes fans are very unhappy with aspects of the officiating, uh, but I don't think it affected the result really in any way. Well, the penalty call was never a penalty. The one on Sean Horowitz, where he did challenge with. yeah, well, no, like there was. I mean, I listen. Honestly, I I get bored to death going through in the refereeing yeah. decisions. And the dog with the better it's, side. It's just it's it's horrendous listening, you know. But uh, yeah, the dog were the better team, and they looked like the business on Friday. Probably, maybe for the first time this season that I've I, and I know we've maybe spoken about them previously, and, and they played well against Rovers, but Rovers were depleted. Played well against Cork, but that result maybe was diminished by 
by almost Cork subsequent results. How was McElhenney? Uh, McElhenney was good. I mean, the, the, but the Derry link was strong. I mean, Duffy was was unplayable in parts. Um, Jarvis was actually very good at left full, it must be said, and McElhenney would drift left and had his relationship with the three lads. And also Georgie Kelly, who, incredibly enough, was making his first Premier Division start. And scored. Having joined the dock last July. Uh, and he scored as well. Will Huben definitely get straight back in? Oh yeah, and I think he will. But that's not that's not to it's what diminish Georgie Kelly's mm. contribution. But they are playing in Cork on Friday, so I don't I don't think that you're going to take a you know they're going they're going to mix things up. I mean, Huben has, has has dominated Cork and in, in, in at times. You know, he's actually showed up in games against Cork where maybe some of the other bigger players maybe have found it hard to do that. Bowls are still only four behind. Yeah, they are still only four behind. I think mm. just but like you, you, it looked there was a good. You know, there was in terms of physical strength, in terms of overall, uh, overall presence on the pitch, in terms of game management, um, the knock were just were just better in, in all those departments, and um, it, I think it's ominous for everyone else. Yeah, I think it is ominous for everyone else. So. Derry and Pat. A lot of people um, still asking for you, John. Everything Dock yeah. game I go to now. People ask you. I just feel that your declaration of the league title race is over a month ago is is something you're going to hear about repeatedly for the rest. Probably of the be season. on my gravestone the way things are going. <laughs> Johnny Derry called it early in 2019. Derry won. <laughs> I told you I was wrong. <laughs> Derry won. St. Pat's won. Um, Lee Desmond, what a strike! I, I don't sultry know why celebration. I don't as know well. why he was sultry. Yeah. No, he's sulking. Sulking. I don't know why he was so like it was like as if he was. Uh, you know, if they, if they, it was, it's an in-running joke in the club that like you're absolutely crap and you never score goals, and because he's like screw you, and he wouldn't even accept a little hug after what's well, definitely a contender for what to do. One of the best strikes I've ever seen in the League of Ireland. <laughs> it was an outrageously good. Yeah, strike. no, I, I spoke to a Derry, you. Don't save those. I spoke Just to don't save a, those. a Derry fan I know who was there who said he was right behind it with the perfect view. Like, so there's what would one camera angle were very restricted sometimes mm. as to it's very much of the moment of where you were. But at least Soccer Republic had. Somebody commentating live, and it gave that sense of you know, oh wow, Lee, oh. <laughs> didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Lee Desmond, I wonder what's going to happen here. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's hardly, oh, he's going to hit one. <laughs> he has. Um, well, Lee Desmond, of course, he's never. Oh, <laughs> no. but um, I don't know why he didn't uh, really want to celebrate. But in any event, it was probably a result. Sultry is a bit hot and humid. It's not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Do you have to look that up? <laughs> no, no, but like, oh, geez, you're after looking I, up what sultry. I means. think it's sometimes one of these words that gets used in a different context to what it is. But again, by Pat definition, there was a, there was a sexual nature. Yeah. To what it was. Did. But, um, nothing sexual about a celebration, but there was about a strike. Oh. Uh, this kind of reflects <laughs> that these teams are probably roughly on a par, I think, and they're both going for those sort of. I don't mean sexually, no. <laughs> I mean in terms of the race for fourth. That's a bit warm Which, as you keep then. as you keep reminding that, is not necessarily going to bring a European football. Well, sometimes, think, f- sometimes fifth could be. Uh, sometimes fifth or could third. Be. Yeah, no, like yeah, no, it, it's. It's very true. We, we ha- we're, we're used to like a Dundalk or Cork winning the cup, so fourth is a European place. But Cork are taking along now, so two wins and two clean sheets yeah, under John Cotter. Yeah, play, play, played okay, apparently. Apparently, tried to play a bit in patches. So, Do you detect um, from um, when UCD, like when you the post match interview with Collie O'Neill, that he's just getting a little bit like, mm, this is getting a bit worrying? It's like, well, yeah, they, they, they've started to lose a lot, a lot of, of games. games. And I, 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 listen, I don't have a. I don't. I can't say this with absolute certainty, but there's so much speculation around UCD players and where they're going that it has to be unsettling. There's no doubt that this is what's happened. I mean, they have a really talented group of players, and I mean, Collie has spoken about it before. You know, the vultures, the vultures circle. I think the vultures have circled, and I think it's probably disrupted things with them. 
And, uh, I think that's a very fair he, point. The, the, I know it's exam time as well and there's, there's other complications they face, but I'd say they're desperate to get to the end of July and see where they're at because once they have all their players and who's there, they'll, I think that they'll pull together. Um, but Were you good around exam time? Back um, in the day? Yeah, well, I went to UCD, of course, yeah. It was, uh, not especially, but I, I wasn't really that as focused as I possibly should have been, John. You Did know? you bu- Would you bump into UCD players when you went to college there? Like, would you ever see them or were they... Rarely around the camp. No, the I used to. I used to live because um, the old Belfield Park in in my master's year in UCD. I used to live over. I could see half the pitch from the uh, from the living room. So if you didn't go to a game, you could actually watch half of it. Mm. And there used to be uh, the odd time the ball would come over the fence, and there'd be an undignified rush from apartments to go and like nab the ball, which I never partake in. I have to say, so I, I'm not, I don't own any footballs belonging to UCD. But in terms of like, it was around genuinely place, an extremely depressing experience going to the old Belfort. Do you remember the guy on the PA as well? It was like, I, I listened. There was some good characters there. I, I, I listen. Don't be. Don't be. Number one <laughs> and number two. I Alan listen. Listen. But it was. He, he was. I'd say he was a lovely man. Yeah. But he, he did bring a funereal atmosphere that was already there yeah. to the next level, and it was it was often a Sunday where you'd. Gone from Galway to watch Galway United at UCD. There were maybe fifty people there, forty-eight of them parents, and you were like, "Oh God, where's yeah. my life going?" And, and, and then Galway uh, United would lose. And, to UCD. and it was you and probably Judy and Kenny, the other two people. Yeah. But the yeah, like there was. Um, I, I don't call actually. I, I remember like the other. There would obviously be you'd be very conscious of like say scholarship students around the place. But I think around the time I was in UCD, they also had quite a few outside players too. I mean, we had Gary O'Neill here before talking about how all the UCD players are almost on campus and stuff like that. I think there was a couple of players that actually would have been around the place. I remember James Timmons played for UCD and a few people that would have. So so a couple, but Paul not Paul Doolan, but not yeah. Well, Paul Doolan, I didn't I didn't meet Paul Doolan and Paul Doolan like. You know the arts in the bar. Give us an old Foster's dollar there, Paul. You know, if you got one, if you got one spare. No, that, that definitely wasn't the case. There wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been something. I, I would have been like working for the student paper, and you'd be trying to drive people to go. And they did various promotions at various times, but all of a sudden, uh, they played on the, Thursday nights for a while when I was in UCD. Yeah, I remember that. Remember all that all of a sudden, they're nine points off third last. Yeah, I mean, I mean. You know, Sligo Rovers have pulled well away from it, and Cork aren't coming back either. You would think so. It is very much. Uh it's a it's it's the two promoted teams slugging it out. I don't know what does, does that does that say anything about the the the, the Premier Division level or not, or is it just a product of the of the financial circumstances or the restrictions that both of those clubs face? Like, like Harps have one win from sixteen games, and they'll be actually quite happy about things at the moment. Yeah, well, Do you know, like yeah. they because they know, they all of a sudden they've at least a chance. They've something but, to aim at now. Um, there was a very poor crowd in the RSC. I don't know if that was related to it being a Saturday a Saturday night. game. Yeah, um, possibly. And those so. who weren't there. Um, it was a bit like punched down when Ruby Walsh like retired. It was like, why weren't you there? Why didn't you go racing? Because obviously I was there and we were all there to see Ruby's last ride. But if you didn't go to the RSC, you missed the best game of the season probably. Yeah. Six goals and it looked an absolute cracker. I spoke to Johnny Dunleavy and he said, this game like it was just so enjoyable to play in. I mean, it looked. I looked at one point. You were following the reports. Was this like a game of five side where they abandoned tip offs and just when yeah. one team scored? That always was, annoys me. Just to well. play it out. Yeah. Especially as you get older, you just need a little. Oh, bit of listen! A break. I played in a game the other day with no tips, and it was nah, driving me nuts. Because like the, then you have because people just get tired, and then someone mm. just drops drops the ball down after a goal. Someone drops you, dead. <laughs> you know, but you, you concede straight away after scoring a yeah, goal because people are, couldn't be arsed. You need to regroup. Get your shape. But anyway, it did seem a small bit like that in terms of the end-to-end stuff a couple of missed penalties two missed penalties yeah, actually Portmore was involved wasn't he yeah 
See, I mean, the, the goals to game ratio of Butimer is probably as good as any. Like, there's always a bit of drama when he's there, you know? You always get a certain level in of In terms drama. of, like, the most regarded and liked referees in the league, where would he be in the, on a scale of Anthony Butimer to 10? Um, would one being Butimer? Enough said, really. I don't know. We I might guess, get him on the show. We should. Yeah. If he'd good, have a, good, good yapper, apparently. Yeah, he likes to, yeah. to talk on the pitch. Yeah. A few stories to tell. Could be a Mike Dean, um, albeit a see, less Mike likeable Dean the, Mike see, Dean. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, Mike Dean now, I don't know. See Mike Dean at the, in the Tran, with the Tranmere Ultras the other day? No. Should see this? No. So Tranmere... Do Tranmere uh, have Ultras? Well, I don't know. But, mm. but basically, Tranmere won the playoff uh, semi-final the other day. They're playing Newport County, Porrick Ammons, Newport County, as they're now known in Ireland, uh, in the playoff final. So Tranmere beat Forest Green. Actually, Forest Green looked like the, the, they're a small club, almost, of League of Ireland, first divisional size in terms of the little ground and the camera angle and stuff. But anyway, it shoots to the away section, and there's Mike Dean standing up standing up uh, amongst, tearing over the crowd, celebrating, like like Alan Kelly winning a seat in Tipperary in terms of celebrations. <laughs> Not former like, referee. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, Alan Kelly, good friend of uh, ex-CEO of the FBI. But um, yeah, waving to the, like, in the middle of the crowd, giving it large. I mean, I haven't seen Mike Dean that happy since he last played counter-attack and a team scored a goal. Yeah. You know, he was an expressive character, it must be said. In any event, it was three all in Watford. Um Mad game, and somehow Sligo are now level pegging on points of Watford after a sluggish start. Yeah, They're absolutely flying. So there's a there's a there's a hectic mid table race there, uh, ongoing. But yeah, I mean at the top end of things, um, I suppose the 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 the, the, the talking point of the weekend for me is is it is a two horse race. Do Bows can can Bows regroup? Are, you know, are Bows just getting a small bit tired after the run of recent games? I know there was no midweek game last week, but maybe just that there's an element of mental fatigue and everything creeps in we should have mentioned as well sorry James Talbot as well got the the Airtristic Soccer Writers Player of the Month as well for, for April for his performances and then had a bit of a howler in for the Sean Hoare goal unfortunately um, well yeah he, so he, he came off his line a bit but I mean yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I've, I, I, I've seen worse goalkeeping errors. To be fair, you know, sometimes the go when the goalkeeper is assertive, you know, and they get the ball, it's great. But so if they don't get it, it doesn't work. But do you tell them not to be assertive at all and not come? Like uh, law of averages, you're going to miss a couple. Dalymount Park is relevant now because Dalymount Park is what I think of when our next guest comes on. Um, he basically got a hat trick for Gal United in Dalymount. We Gal United very rarely win, obviously in Dalymount. And in those days, yeah. So we're going to speak to Kieran Foley. Yeah, in those days, just to, just to, to keep going on this, um, it was uh, practically unheard of. It was probably us winning by three. I think it was three one. Was probably a thousand to one. Great memories, uh, happy memories of a Sunday visit for Galway United to Dublin. Kieran Foley, how are you getting on? Very well, sir. Very well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Um, just to remind people what you did in the League of Ireland, I I will. Chiefly remember you scoring three goals for Galway United in Daly Mount when I think the same day we basically went up there with no strikers and you were sort of thrown up front and, uh, you know, catapulted yourself into Galway United folklore back in the day. Yeah, I think I fell over the ball three times. <laughs> One of them was a good strike now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I enjoyed my time when I was with Galway. Um, the idea being to go to Galway and then St. Pat's and... That would be it. Unfortunately, I had a bad injury when I was at Pats and went to a few more clubs after that to try and extend my career or keep prove myself. I suppose um, I ended with Shamrock Rovers at the end of it, so it was, you know, it was it was great for me to get as far as I could in my career. But yeah, had a good had a good time. 
So, Kieran, was, was it Pat Scully at Rovers at the end of your time there? Was he the manager or was it, was it someone else just around the, the end of your stint at Rovers? Um, who was the manager? The manager was... Um, Not a great sign you don't remember. Collins. Oh, oh, Roddy. Oh, Roddy. Oh, Roddy. Oh, it was, oh, so it was, uh, it was that year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that year. Yeah. <laughs> Chaos year. That was a... That was a colourful array of characters in the dressing room that time. Was Paddy McCourt, really, Paddy McCourt there around really, that time? Really talented bunch of players. Um, I mean, you had Trevor Malloy, who's one of the best yeah. players I've ever played with. Um, Tony Sheridan, who one of the most, himself and Martin Russell, are the two most talented left feet you'd ever come across. So there was a, a real, and they had a lot of passion in there. There was a, the, I mean, they were guys who played across different clubs, but... They had a lot of passion, especially for Rovers. So it was good. It was good. Speaking of passion, what did Pat Dolan tell you when you joined Pats? He was going to make me a superstar of the Super Stains in the stadium of light. <laughs> <laughs> that was the good sell. It was a good sell. So, so, so life after football then, I mean, it's kept you involved in sport, Kieran, but maybe for people who are listening. So w- where have you gone since then? Because obviously you've, 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 you've dabbled in the sporting arena, to say the least. Yeah, I, I had a dual career, if you will. I was playing, while I was playing, I, I, I had gone to college first, so I had done my master's in UCG, or NUIG as it's now called. Um, so I had always you know, followed the career path at the same time. So I was with O2, I had done all the sponsorship deals, the Irish Rugby, Ryder Cup, European Open, that kind of stuff. And then I went to work for Digicel, where I was the head of sponsorship initially for the group, for the company. We were in 14 markets, and then that raised to be in 32. And then went to um, um, to being uh, probably the, the biggest player across the markets that we were in, which were in the Caribbean, Central America, South Pacific. While I was there, I got very close with the guys at CONCACAF and restructured a tournament across the Caribbean and Central America for football and restructured youth development, mainly because we were growing into all these markets. Football was something that was very, very underserved. And I became very close to the guys at CONCACAF. Now, unfortunately, after 2011 um, and all the issues that they had, Mm. a lot of those personnel changed. But it was a really... You know, it was a good time for the development of the game and for how we restructured it. Did you say but that you the, kind of changed their equivalent of their their euros, I suppose, on the principle that some of the, the their you know their the countries couldn't actually afford a normal tournament, so you had to stretch it out over six months or something. Correct. So they used to have a tournament which was their qualification process for their European Championships, and it used to be one week, and there would only be eight teams. What I did was I restructured it. I bought all the commercial rights and I, not just for the one in the Caribbean, but also across the Central America. So the entire qualification process for the entirety of the Gold Cup, which is held every two years. Um, we bought a number of packages and we made money overall because what we did was I structured it in a way that it went to being from one week, eight teams, to being... 24 teams in Caribbean and then 12 uh, down in Central America over six months. Bought all the TV rights, everything, and brought in all these other commercial partners. 
so that we were able to develop the productions. Um, we had TV shown in the States with Sky in the UK. We had um, packaging of content with uh, highlight programs developed. And it turned into a profitable tournament that was longer than it ever was before. So it went very, very well. Um, we talked about how we would extend it further, but the management at the time involved a guy called Chuck, Chuck Blazer, who's now infamous. In a, a very infamous character, to say the least, yeah. we had a, I had a few clashes with him because we were usurping a lot of the, the commercial appeal, as it were. So... Um, we had to get back in our box, but as we found out in later years, I, I could never understand the reasoning until later years when it all came out. Mm, yeah, Chuck had his own, he had his own little world he was living in, I guess, you know? It was mm. colourful. I mean, in fairness to him, Jack Warner more so. Jack, um, you know, he, he was seen as, you know, this big, huge villain, but there was nobody else in the Caribbean doing anything, and he was very, very high in FIFA and he brought a lot of development into the country so um, there was there were some good things that he was doing but sounds rather know. like a different CEO <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where did you go from there anyway well uh, after all of that we had challenges with West Indies cricket um, IPL which is the Indian Premier League had done very very well um, and they'd had tried to be replicated in the Caribbean but very unsuccessfully so I conceived and created uh, CPL, which is the Caribbean Premier League, which is a T20 cricket event. It's uh, it's in year five, and it now has 220 million people watching it. It's the number two most successful franchised um, cricket league in the world and has about $29 million in revenue. And that's come from losing... I think it was 20, 28 million loss in the last iteration of the last company that tried to do it, which was a guy called Alan Stanford. So um, it was, we proved that we could try and develop this league. We proved that there was commercial viability around it. And we have 220 million people around the world watching it. And that's in a league in the Caribbean. Now, that kind of got me speaking to Niall Quinn. I'd met Niall previously because when I was rede redeveloping the um, the football youth programs, there's a man of mine, Liam Kelly, who used to play at St. Pat's, and yeah. he was an interlink for me with, um, I think he's best mates with Steve McPhail. So he was able to link me in with Niall Quinn. I rang Niall and I said, look, we're going to be doing this youth program all the way around the Caribbean, and there's a lot of really, really good talent here. So, a we're gonna we could if we partnered with Sunderland, we could build a profile of the the Sunderland brand, and b you're effectively getting a scouting mission for free against the best players in across the whole Caribbean and Central America, and all it costs you is to put up about 12 kids at the very very finale uh, and send over a couple of coaches for a few weeks and i'll pay for all of their expenses so we agreed and it worked really really well whereby we had this youth coaching program across the whole region of the americas for um, a number of months and the finale being the best 12 kids were selected and they went to um the went over to sunderland for a coaching session so we stayed in touch now and again, um, 
And we'd always spoken about the League of Ireland and what the opportunities were and how it was underserved. And I got more animated about it as, you know, the Cricket League was proven, whereby we had created a lot of revenue and a huge amount of demand for content from a third world region. I mean, the Caribbean, magnificent as it is, is a third world region. So if we can do that in the Caribbean, where there was previously nothing, how is it that we can look at my own country and say, you know, we have this poor relations of a League of Ireland, which I know it isn't because I've played in it, so I know all about it. And I'm just thinking to myself and the talent that's there and how many players have come back. And so it was it was always a discussion. Niall was very, very passionate about it. And how, long, how long back has Niall been talking about that? Because it was actually quite a few years yeah. ago. And we, we had had conversations about it once or twice. And it just grew momentum the more, say, after Rovers did so well in the Europa League and then Dundalk and all of their exploits and what they've done. And it just, it, you know, it, there was no rhyme nor reason as to why the League of Ireland should... Cons- and then you, you see what happens all to the, the different clubs that have reached financial challenges mm. during the year. There was no rhyme nor reason as to why this should not be the case, that we can't make something commercially viable in the league. Then you look at the challenges about the international team and you know, you pin your hopes on one individual, which is going to be a manager. And it can't, that can't be the case, especially when you consider the fact that our pathway program has always relied heavily on the fact that we have young lads who are good enough and we send them over to England to learn their trade. Why is that? I mean, mm. how is it that we're not capable of doing that? Of course we are. I mean, I was lucky enough to be have a, do my coaching badges with Noel Riley, who is just the, one of the most incredible people Irish football has ever seen. We have talented coaches. We have the ability to coach coaches. We ha- Why do we always presume you have to be sent to foreign shores in order to be a better person or a better player or a better coach? So it, it, the, the reality is, is that we do not structure our, our pathway well enough. I'm not, sorry, I'm, I'm, I misspeak. I'm not saying that our programs that are currently put in place are not um, well thought out. What I'm saying is, is that we do not have a complete program to allow for our players, our coaches, uh, even across women's sport now, I see so many players, see Louis Quinn signed again with Arsenal, I think it was. And you wonder, why is it that when we have really good players, we have to send them all away? And people will say, oh, well, you know, it makes commercial sense because there's bigger money over there. Yeah, there is bigger money. But how many players are now making it in England? You see how much money is spent, not just at a very, very high level of buying a first-team player, but how many underage players have been brought in from various parts of the world? I've seen it. I've, I've worked with Manchester City, I've worked with Chelsea, and I've worked with Liverpool on various projects. And they are hugely... Um, developed in their scouting program and where they're bringing children in from all around the world. So it just doesn't make sense anymore for us to be relying on the fact of sending our our own players away in order for them to develop. And we have to have a proper program. And there's no reason why our league cannot develop into a more commercially viable, commercially structured and internationally acclaimed 
league. Because if you think that where the Champions League proposals are going today, you think the gulf is big now? I mean, you just wait. It's mm-hmm. going to be so big that we won't be able to fill that void. Kieran, uh, you're based in New York at the moment. Have, have you uh, had involvement in the football scene in America in any degree as well? Because obviously that the, the, the profile, the landscape there has changed quite a bit in the last couple of years too. Yeah, I've sat on CONCACAF committees to redevelop the football across the Americas. Um, I've been quite involved with CONCACAF. I've, I've been quite involved with the MLS Mm. Um, but I've been actually in Ireland quite a lot in the last few years. Um, I've I'm over and back quite a lot. I was actually involved um, with two investors trying to purchase equity in a Premier League team over the last few years from Asia. Uh, reason being, I I knew Richard Scudamore pretty well, who's now retired as the chairman of the Premier League in England. But um, I've seen exactly what they're trying to do and how they're trying to progress their leagues. And it's taken them... I mean, everybody thinks the MLS is great right now, but uh, Don Garber, who's the commissioner of the MLS, will tell you he was there in the 1990s. You know, they had a very, very long struggle. It was a long time since the World Cup, you know, and it it took a long time to get going, didn't it? The 94 World Cup was the one that was really... really saved them because it, it... pitched football onto a much higher level but having said that it's um it, it just still took them quite a number of years but they had a plan there was always a clear plan about what we're going to do how we're going to expand the teams how do we develop youth programming how do we encourage and entice commercial entities into it how do we have the franchise owners develop their their teams, their marketing capabilities, how do we develop the content around this stuff? I'm not saying it's not difficult. And America's a huge country, so there's a lot of appetite for for sport. But they have massive competition for sport over here. We have competition with Gaelic football, hurling, rugby. But, I mean, not this, not to the same level as what they have over here. It's just, it's, it is pretty big. So um, it took them a number of years to develop it. And, and I refer it back to what we do in our country and wondering, you know, not just, not just the programs and the pathway, but then the governance of this. What is the structure of it? How can we, you know, develop this properly, not just commercially, but from the top in terms of a governance? And it's currently not there. I mean... Mm. Mm. I don't know if you've been but, listening but, to the news. Was, yeah, yeah. And, and, but I suppose, Kieran, I, I guess people listening to this, you know, and, and even people who, who love the League of Ireland will listen to this, and I, I can feel them saying, OK, you know, we're, we're talking about, say, some international comparisons, and you, you talk about, the, you know, the Caribbean Cricket League, where you're, I suppose you're dealing with substantial populations, a substantial appetite for the sport, uh, in America, you're speaking about the growth of the MLS, where there's a lot of money invested into it to actually fund it. And you see how some of these clubs, like ultimately, we have a situation here at the moment in Ireland where we now know that UEFA are effectively going to be making sure that the FAI is viable over the next period of time. Like, I appreciate this, you know, I've, I've heard Niall Quinn speak, and maybe in broad enough terms about his plans without maybe specifics because he wasn't able to bring them to the table before all this recent stuff happened but I mean how do you fund this vision that you have I mean where does this where does this money come from because we know that we need substantial investment to make any of this really 
any of these grander plans that we have viable? That's a really good question. So about, I, I don't know how, within the last year, Niall formed a group um, and I was honoured to be asked to be part of that. And you, you, it's the group you, you mentioned, you refer to there. Mm. And that was a number of individuals, not just football people, but it was it was uh, people from who had a commercial background, people from education, lawyers, um, finance people, people who were passionate about Irish people, who were passionate about the game, but also about where it needed to be because they all have similarly witnessed the uh, rise of sporting endeavours across the world and yet look at and hear rhetoric of negativity about our football across the country. And it's just it just does not make sense. So you're correct. There does need to be a commercial model. And yes, we actually do have the, a very strong structure put together. And I've been working with the group um, closely. We have a paper, um, a structure to go into this reform committee. We have the hope and desire to try and give our input and our influence on how to bring football to the next level. But just because it's not done now doesn't mean it's not viable. Mm. If, when, when, As an example with cricket, you mentioned, I mean, the fact that it is now very, very uh, well developed. It is, uh, when it started, there were two sponsored West Indies cricket. Digicel, which was the company I was in charge of in terms of the sponsorship element, and also uh, another company called Scotiabank. That was it, two. We went from having two over a six-week period to having 29 in our program, including six governments. I think the key to that was we were able to separate the usual lethargic presentation of test cricket and poor crowds to a, a plan and a picture with solid structure of content, of marketing, um, of promotion, of the sport itself, which was the intrinsic part of it. That was the core element of it. And similarly with the MLS, you mentioned how it's a huge, huge audience but yeah, you must remember at the start and for the first eight years, they struggled. But there was a clear plan and a clear identity of who they were and how they were going to grow. It took them time. Yes, there was money that went into it. But a lot of that money, um, it, 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 it had been repaid after year eight because a clear business plan was done. I can tell you that I've spoken to investors in the States who are very, very keen to try and put money in. Now, they do so not on the basis that they love Ireland and that they love to see the league develop. They do so because they believe in the plans that we've spoken to them about to try and say, here's how you could develop football. If you consider when, when we've sent over young people all the time to England um, on the hope, the fact that there was a lot of money in football, Ireland is home to one of some of the biggest companies in this world on this planet. So how is it that we're not more commercially active with our football? Maybe it's because we haven't presented a strong enough 
plan, around content, around marketing, around our own player development, around our keeping our own players. It, it does seem about, extraordinary that, that you mentioned that in you know in the in the sense that it's such a, a country of so many wealthy people, and we've had a league that's basically been run with no prize money. We have, we, we I mean, we are the. Um, the envy of most of countries in Europe, I would imagine, when they see the companies that are headquartered in our island. And you say we're small, but that means we're concentrated. If, if you think we're too small, I'd refer you to Iceland. And they say, well, we're delighted we're so small because we can concentrate on how we develop our own programming and you know eliminate a lot of this bureaucracy. We're not too small, we're not too big. We're perfectly sized. What we don't do is we don't have a plan. That's that's our issue. We don't have proper governance, we don't have proper management, and we're not facilitating the opportunity to develop our own players well enough, yeah. keep them, retain them, and commercialize our sport so that we don't get so far left behind that we will continuously say to one individual, you know what? You're the manager of our national team. If we don't win, it's your fault. Mm. How is that? Yeah, that doesn't mean someone I, has to stop. Yeah, now you listen. I, I can I, I completely agree on that point. I mean, I, I would always argue that the FAI has been more like the Republic of Ireland Football Club, you know, and it's 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 the results of the of one team determines the the mood of the whole place. And you know, particularly with the the scenario that we're in now, where the Euro twenty twenty games are going to be qualifying matches are. are way bigger version of these English playoff games at the moment where you describe things as the X million game or whatever I mean and it's only to pay off debt so it's uh, it's it's pretty depressing but you mentioned Kieran about the reform group is that the, the governance review group that's ongoing at the moment have you met us are you making a submission to that as part of your group is that is that part of what's happening um, I don't want to go into too much on it but yeah uh, the reform group the one that you refer to is the one that I'm referring to yes. yeah 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 and I mean, I mean I, I, are we taking it from this from from this discussion that I mean you 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 would be keen or you would be open to having some kind of role with the FEI going forward it's something you're you're interested in I, I I mean, I'm Irish, and it kills me that I, when I, and I'm, I've been in Ireland a lot in the last few years um, for various reasons. But it's what kills me every time I go back is all the negative elements and all the. So I thought I don't want to be down at Eamon DC Park watching the team and be given out that 400 people are there, or be given out that our national team hasn't qualified for the World Cup again or the European Championships again. Or watch the gulf, you know, of between for other sports across different countries doing so well and ours not. I don't want to be the guy given out in the stands that you know. Oh well, it should be coming to us. So what I wanted to be was part of the solution to say, okay, look, I have a lot of experience in this. There's other people in this group who have a huge, way better experience than me. Why don't we come together and put our heads together and find a solution and suggest it and present it. Now, if I could be part of that solution, nothing would make me happier. So that's what I want to try and do. And uh, if someone asks me to get involved, I, I'm, I'm never going to say no. and I'm going to be delighted to do so. So I'm very, very keen and very eager to try and to be part of a solution. And I think I, I have the bones of it with the group. I think we, rather than I, have the bones of that. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be roses, but I'm saying we have a very clear picture and a very clear plan on how to do that. And it doesn't, it's not just, you know, we're going to film it and we're going to try and sell the media rights. 
it has to start at the very top with a clear understanding about structure. It has to stop start with governance. It has to start followed with management, with uh, understanding how you commercialize programming, with player development, with retaining our own players, with doing the right elite programs inside our own country, not just for men, for women. We start with boys and girls and we develop all the way through until we have our own structure. I mean, when you consider we changed our league, I was playing at the league when we changed from playing winter football mm. to the summer football. And the idea, the concept was we are going to be the next Rosenberg. We are going to qualify for the Champions League. And the way we do that is we just change the league, the timing. And that was it. There was <laughs> nothing else. And, and it, it worked. Work like that. There has to be more behind it. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, is that rather than giving rhetoric and rather than giving nice sounding um, uh, small bit tidbits of, of information, we have a clear understanding and more so with the people involved in this group, a very proven understanding that we've done this across different countries. We've progressed sports and education across different countries. We have to program in education, which is very, very key. The youth programs that, that I did across the Americas, I had scholarship programs built into it as well with colleges, as well as the scouting, because um, I was lucky enough that I was pushed to, to finish my own education. So it was very important. A few friends of mine went abroad and played, uh, left after the junior cert. I mean, do you know that I believe the stat is one in three players playing in the League of Ireland, and I could be corrected here, have uh, education to their junior cert level. How do they get a job when they're finished playing, or if they get injured? I do remember we spoke. How, how to, yeah, spoke to um, Stephen McGuinness. No, we had Ali. Ali, Ali, Ali speaking Cal, about yeah. that. Yeah, it is. I mean, Kieran, I, I, I think everyone is is excited by the idea of these plans, and I think maybe you are right in, in, to a degree that the negativity that you refer to, and I think people have been beaten down over the years, also by some souring experiences as well. And I think particularly yeah. when we when we discuss this subject matter here. That um, I think there's an attitude like when I, I when Noel Quinn has spoken and and you're speaking there and we, we hear about businessmen that are looking to get involved and sometimes in in Irish football our relationship with people coming in that are ultimately you know businesses businessmen come in they, they're coming in to try and make some money I mean that's natural that's how they that's how that's how that's how they've accumulated wealth in the first place and there's a skepticism there about well are they just going to come into this project. And after a couple of years, if it's not working, they they're going to head off, you know. So and how do you marry that with what bows are doing and stuff well, like that? So is there a is there a long term commitment from people that you're speaking with here? Because this isn't it doesn't strike me as the the easiest short term fix that we're speaking about here in terms of the cultural change that would be required to keep players here and all that goes with that. Well, I you're right in that it is a commercial structure in that it is an understanding but it is only a commercial structure if the players are good enough and the league is good enough and that there's longevity and long-term viability to it because if you consider the fact that if they were not developing and they've been the group whoever whoever wants to de to develop this if you don't have a strong conveyor belt and a continuing conveyor belt of product no matter what that product is if you don't have that in place to ensure the viability of a sustained long-term business, then you're not a very good businessman because you're not looking for the next step down the road. The reality is, is that in order to have a strong program across a league, 
to have good TV production, to have strong distribution around it, to have good crowds, to have good players coming in and developing those players, it does take money. So there has to be a commercial structure around it. You do need brave people to do it, but I don't know many sports teams in the world that run massive operating profits. You mentioned yourself about championship teams, and they have tens of thousands of people at their game, and they run negative. Most teams, most teams run negative profits. You try to keep that absolute, you try to break even and get a profit to a degree, but the value is in owning a team because there's only a certain number of teams in the world you can actually own. It do, it's not easy, the entry to access, but the ability to develop not only your, your own personal brand as, a, as an owner, but that of your company, um, it really, really does magnify. Plus, you look at a lot of clubs, they could be owned by uh, uh, supporters' trusts. But if you don't have in place a strong commercial plan, then you're going to have another issue like when I was playing at Shelburne, where you're reliant on one person's generosity over over generosity and don't tell me that's viable because mm. that's not viable because money will eventually run out what you need to have is a structure that ensures it's not about an individual it's about a, a mechanism for the entire league that keeps the league progressing in the right direction it keeps the money moving so that the uh, the money goes to the right areas and it is managed properly so for instance in the uh, in the NBA, you'd have a player cap. In our own cricket league, we have a player cap in terms of salary, sorry. So we have a clear understanding about development, that you have to have so many players at an under-21 level play. You have a clear understanding about the youth development that is required from each club. Uh, you have a clear understanding about how you, uh, who can get paid how much, that you have limits on it for the first few years so that you don't overextend. You don't have one individual come in that can blow it out of the water and completely tilt the balance of the league in the short term, but, but completely make it unviable for other other teams. So you need to understand how you manage it over the first number of years, especially starting up and getting it going. Yeah. Once yeah. it's going, it can start to take a new shape and a new formation, new formation in terms of how commercially you address it. But it, it, it cannot be that you presume, well, you know what? We're afraid to try and make any changes because this might happen or that might happen. Yeah, it might. But all these other positives might happen too. And the reality is, if we don't do something in our own football, look at what's happening to it now. We have so many good teams, so many good players, and we're not being served properly by the current um, management that's yeah, there. Yeah, and um, I don't want to come on speaking badly. I want to come on and say, look, I'm not saying we're 100% right, but we have a suggested structure. We have a way that should be open to debate, and it should be open to debate. I'm not saying it's the right mm-hmm. way significantly. I'm saying it's one suggestion. Why not discuss it, understand how we develop it in our own country, understand that this needs to be uh, brought in. And if there are other ways to do this, then great. Let's listen and let's try and figure out the best way to do it. But it's it's very, very clear that what we have, and I'm not just talking about now, because you talk about, you look at how in the last number of years, 
our players have been, I feel, underserved and our league has been underserved and our national teams in terms of what they've, what, how they've been supported or how we've tried to grow them, you know, it's yeah. been underserved. Um, so we need to understand, we need to change. I do, I am um, conscious of the fact it's very early in New York and I, I have to thank you for getting up. I don't think you're a coffee drinker either, which would have meant that all the harder for me, but um, <laughs> much appreciated. We Hopefully we, we might catch up to you, I might catch up to you in Ireland as well when you're back in the near future. Hopefully interesting times ahead for Irish football one way or the other. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, guys. Good to talk. He's obviously a very good talker, and um, I think he, he speaks with sort of diplomacy maybe about his intentions, but I, I think he speaks a lot of, um, not not even rhetoric, but he, he uses words that, sadly, we don't relate to the League of Ireland because it's been such a financial basket case with no money in it for so long. Yeah, well, I suppose when, when Noel Quinn spoke about his plans for the League and said he had people involved, there was there was a vagueness. He didn't, he didn't list who some of the people were, um, and... Obviously, over time, then you maybe hear who a couple of people are, and obviously, obviously, this it's good to hear a different voice, you know, because this is one of the people that has been involved in that process, and it's not just about say one person and people have their views about Quinn based on a long period of time, but this is someone else with a different skill set, with a different background, and you know, as listen, look, as I, I I try, you know, you try to put some questions to someone in the course of a discussion, like I am conscious that there are there will be people listening to this. Uh, who who think that some of this stuff is 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 overly ambitious, just because from the from the harsh experience of working in in League of Ireland finances and stuff. But I I, I do at the same time subscribe to the view that you can't be afraid of people with ideas, and we do have to try something. And I think the the language that you speak it needs to be positive. Um, but I, I like the Irish. I mean, the, the fact is, no, no one knows what's going to work here. Like we are heading into a vacuum here, and what we do have, and whatever about your views and the various people involved, and what the models may be, and what way we should go. Uh, what we do have is an opportunity now uh, to reshape the position of the League of Ireland within the FEI. And something I strongly agree with is this whole thing. I, I, I've been banging on about it that, like this whole thing of the Irish senior manager being effectively, you know, the the figure who determines the fortunes of the game here like this is something that this is a mindset that he was created help, like. that was a mindset that was created by Jack Charlton coming in mm. and revolutionising Irish football and there's a there's a there's a mindset that exists ironically by playing the worst brand yeah, well, football yeah exactly but you know we got complacent because we just assumed that everything is well and there's, there's like the outside world, you know, people outside Irish football, the, the 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 current affairs presenters, like you dip into Irish football now and again, they just cult they, personality. They, 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 no, no, they, but I'm just saying that they will judge Irish football by how the senior team is mm. doing. Uh, Irish football is in great nick at the moment because we we beat Macedonia away ten at the weekend. You know, Ireland lost to Macedonia. Well, Irish football is in a bad way. Like that's that can't be the way. It's got to be a bonus. Like the senior team going well is a bonus to a coherent structure. Whereas we've just become, we've been beaten into this belief that really it's all about having a good senior manager, a glamour manager, or a good manager who fills the ground and gets results, and that's it. And that was the mindset at board level, I think, at executive level. And if you look after people with that, then then really don't worry too much about some of this other stuff. So uh, whether the vision that's, that's been laid out by Quinn's group is the one that is going to solve all our problems, uh, I don't know. But I think we have to have that type, those type of people involved in the discussion, mm. they're the type of people that you want on a board. 
that 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 he can put his ideas out there. Someone can challenge them. But 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 that someone with that mindset and that attitude is there, uh, and, I, and I think that there is an a- opportunity for a sort of a generational change and an admin change now. Chris Hughton as well. Um, there's a lot of people with an interesting background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's like there's people as we, as has been pointed out before. You talk about UCD. But there's a lot of like people who've played at a high level in this country are very well educated people who've succeeded in other fields so they're interested in football they're passionate about football but they've also succeeded in the real world as well too and like marrying those two things together is a pretty straightforward thing to do yet sometimes you know how we've been served by administrators in the country here is people with no real background of any description in any business environment Chris Hewton um, as well getting let go by Brighton he's another Irish sort of link to English football gone um, how many managers have we now? Martin O'Neill and the guy you interviewed at. I know, there's no, I don't like know about just, that. No, but in terms of Ireland being relevant, Irish people being relevant. Well, Brian Barry Murphy's at Rochdale. Brian Barry Murphy. But like, Coughlin. You, do, you, do, you do just look at how big the Premier League is, and I do envisage that Irish players just naturally going over there. It, it is going to stop. I think there's a good chance of us now to develop the league here and, and, and have proper players playing here who then go on to England if they're very good. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's ever going to stop. I mean, but at least. Like it's, it's funny, like, anyway, you know, we had, we had 15 players in the Premier League this year. Now, it must be said, like, you know, the 15. 15 players involved. I mean, Mark Travers is one of them was 19 mm. um, you know Jason Knight was on the bench for Derby last night who's um, who's 8 you know I think he's, he's from that under 17 team last year Troy Parrott Nathan Collins from the Collins dynasty played for Stoke so there, we actually do have a good generation of young players at the moment some of them are making an impact and if that happens then people are going to uh you know, pe- people are still going to be tempted by it. That's never going to go away. But I, I think it's just more about creating a structure at home that makes it more viable for people to stay. We're never going to stop people going because every country in the world uses young players to England. It's just the volume and where players go. And um, but I mean, we're we're repeating ourselves here. But uh, it's it it is. Uh, we're at an interesting crossroads, and it is the time to get certain people in the door who can who can maybe take us in the right direction. Big weekend coming up, Dan. Cork City Dundalk all of a sudden, big uh, kind of uh, attraction. Yeah, so like we'll, we'll run through the fixtures because you know Cork Dundalk, St Pat's Bowes on Friday, UCD Shamrock Rovers on Friday, uh, maybe the Gary O'Neill Derby, Finn Harps Waterford on Friday Gary as O'Neill well. Derby. Um, Gary O'Neill could be joining Shamrock Rovers, John. So yeah, that could be the one. And then on Saturday, they not have enough midfielders. Well, though. you know. If you don't want to let a good one go somewhere else, and then Saturday, Sligo Rovers, Derry City, and then Finn Harps, Watford um, is going to be an interesting Yeah, one and then what we got, we've got to run the games on Monday. We'll be reviewing them next week on Dock Bowes, UCD, Cork on Monday, uh, Finn Harps, Shamrock Rovers. These are games brought forward due to Europe. Uh, and then St. Pat's v. Derry City on Tuesday. Gee, St. Pat's have played Derry three times in a yeah, very Yeah, because so. all these teams have. So mm. the, this is a reverse of last week's fixtures, John. So all these teams played each other last week. We had, um, we had uh, obviously, we t- chatted long for town last week, and uh, they... Big they, win they for Cabin Teeley. Yeah, yeah, big 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 win for Cabin Teeley. Unbelievable stuff. 26 points from 12 yeah. games. We'll have a Cabo guy on shortly. Wexford 2, Cove 2, Shelburne 2, Atlone 1. Uh, Drada United 3, Limerick 2, a uh, hat-trick uh, for Sean Brennan there, and a lot of penalties, a lot of penalties last weekend generally, and then this week in the first division, Atlone, Bray on Friday, Galway, Longford Friday, Wexford, Shelburne on Friday, and then on Saturday, uh, table-topping Cabo against Drada and Cove Ramblers, Limerick. I wonder if more people will uh, start going to Cabin TD games, if people, because as much as they're going well, it's hard when you're not 
uh, like when you're not a town, you know, when, uh, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like in the same way that if Athlone were top, all of a sudden, no matter what people think about things, there, there will be people attending in, in massive numbers. It's harder for Cabo. To, I don't know how they build their message locally, but hopefully they do. But in terms of the weekend, I suppose this is Cork and Dock is probably still the standout game, although it does feel like the first Cork and Dock game in a way where it's not like being built up as this massive fixture because we know that Cork aren't going to be in the title race. Whereas even, okay, we possibly knew that the last time going to Oriel, but it was early in the season. and Only 12 th- points there's behind a status, <laughs> yeah, There's a status around the Dundalk-Cork game that I don't know, has it been diminished slightly? I, I don't know. I still think that once the players get on the pitch and they see each other, I mean, that rivalry is still there. And there's actually a nice dynamic now that John Cotter and Vinnie Parrott were the two assistants to Kenny and Caulfield. And now that it's them on the sideline. Um, uh, but they it didn't is have the a bus up in the tunnel around the, like that. I don't think they well, did. Well, I mean, they were, they were present. They were, they were yeah. present for them, you know. But I think they're also in the pro license together. Mm. So um, I don't know, have, have they learned to the like crowd be like, build actually? understanding of each other over time? You know? What will the crowd be like? Uh, I don't know. Um, the, the crowd wasn't massive for the UCD game last week. I did wonder would it be slightly bigger um, with the new manager bounce. But. Um, it depends. Like, I actually, I, 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 people in Cork will know more about what the discussion is down there. I don't think we're very. We've never been accused of being in touch with the Cork scene, John. So I don't know if we we can accurately gauge what what the build up is going to be. I think to Skype is going to help us going forward to get more interviews with regional yeah. people who just can't come up here. But we've just discovered. Skype. I was talking. We we're talking to a Bose fan. They're playing Pats. They've sold out against Rovers a month before the game, but um, Bose haven't sold out their way allocation apparently yet for the Pats game, which is quite interesting. Well, I mean, this culture of like buying tickets before the game is slightly new. Most of the times, people just go to the game and let's see who shows up, John. So, like the Bose allocation for Pats can't be that. But I mean, this was—I mean, let's throw someone under the bus here. I mean, this was our colleague, uh, my colleague Rory O'Connor, right? Who was mm. talking about this? Who's who's is also negative about the prospect of uh, more people being able to go to the Bose Rovers derby in a in a month's time. He he's skeptical about the day tripper interest in Bose Rovers. I think, I think they could get ten thousand. I think it, they possibly could. Yeah, mm. I think on, on a Friday night in June uh, be full of tourists like be full of Germans and people who are getting onto the hype of this game but I, I'd have no problem with that as I think game. there'll be a bumper crowd in Sligo for the Derry visit as well things are going you well think? there yeah, yeah. you'd hope so and then you know Harps Waterford Eustace Shamrock Rovers yeah I suppose the, I mean, Rovers are going to be interesting at the weekend as well because they obviously had a week off after three defeats in four matches so will that just have recharged the batteries and freshen things up a small bit the way you're you know? talking Gary O'Neill will be just like ah sure what well, doesn't just, you know ah no that, that, that's, a, that's very, very harsh, harsh. Poor Gary. that's very harsh thanks very much for listening uh, season 3 episode 14 but there are limits to your life